I'm going to try not to talk too fast going through this. I'm just trying to fit in recording this episode while everybody's out of the house. (laughs) The times are sort of few and far between when my sons are both gone and my husband and when there is not uh, a whole bunch of deer outside of our mountain home because then the dogs go nuts. So yeah, this is Donna. And today's topic is God's source in creator. On a family road trip when I was about nine, I think, we stopped over at a cousin's farm in Nebraska to spend the night. And I remember for supper, we had fried chicken, which was fresh meat that they had raised And I'm sure we had salad and a few vegetables from their garden. We had corn on the cob from their fields and mashed potatoes from their garden made with milk from their cows. All of us being very Christian at the time, we said a prayer before eating, thanking God for this food and the fellowship that we would enjoy. Fellowship, which would be riding horses for us kids while the adults sat in lawn chairs and talked. And I remember thinking it was weird (laughs) that we would thank God, which at that time to me was some old male being who watched us from far up in the clouds and had supposedly somehow given us all that we had. Clearly, to me, at nine, <laughs> this food had come from the earth and from the hard work of my cousins. And the horses would provide our pleasure and entertainment, and the adults' fellowship came from each other. But yet, we had to involve God in everything and thank Him for everything and praise Him constantly and listen to Him so that we wouldn't sin and get sent to hell forever when we died. <laughs> I've always sort of resented that, God. If I could go back, I would teach that nine-year-old me that being thankful was the important part and that she was right to want to thank the cousin farmers for the food and praise the horses for being willing to tote us around and not some concept of a man-god taught to us by humans who lived in constant fear of him. Kabir was a religious reformer and an artist and a musician in 1440 AD in India. He died in 1518, and he was denounced by both Hindus and Muslims during his lifetime. Now, he is widely recognized as having blended all religious beliefs and stepped outside of them often as not. Kabir says this, If I told you the truth about God, you might think I was an idiot. If I lied to you about the beautiful one, you might parade me through the streets shouting, This guy is a genius. The world has its pants on backwards. Most carry their values and knowledge in a jug that has a big hole in it. Thus, having a clear grasp of the situation, 
If I am asked anything these days, I just laugh. End quote. So today, with this huge, eternal, uh, mysterious topic, <laughs> I just want to talk about the difference between divine source God, the source of all that is, and the creators of earth and humanity. And then I'll touch lightly on how we, you and I, fit into this source God equation. If you listen to my introductory episode here on this podcast, I talked about the foremost nature of truth and how truth is so very paradoxical. And when I first sat down to gather my thoughts and make some notes about who God is to me, it all seemed pretty clear inside my head. But then when I tried to put words around that clarity, which is the clarity was in what I feel and what I hear and what I see and what I understand. When I tried to put words around that clarity, I realized that there really is no other subject that is as utterly paradoxical as this subject of God or of the divine. It's almost as if the divine exists only within negative space. Like, you know how uh, with art, we usually focus on the art object or the picture within the art. But then every once in a while, there is an artist who uses the negative space and the negative space becomes a whole other expression. Well, that's kind of how I feel about God when I start to try to pin down what is God. And maybe, maybe that's why this quote-unquote new age idea that God exists within everything and everybody is still not always entirely satisfying. According to quantum mechanics, there is so much space between particles and subatomic particles that we and our so-called material objects can barely be said to be material. There's mostly space and hardly any material. Maybe all of that space is God, all of that potential that we can't even see. So though I cannot define with words at all, even close to the totality that I call God, I will just share with you some of the ideas that I've collected about our traditional understandings of our traditional gods. The process of gods becoming or unfolding is the process of all of creation. First, there is awareness, which we could also call consciousness. Then there is love which is becoming aware of oneself. And then there is free will, which is awareness of the unlimited potential of love. And the creative urge, which is awareness of using our free will to act with love. And this is an endless cycle. This is eternity. This is the the sphere or the circle that is creation because out of that creative urge then comes a new creation 
And that new creation begins with awareness and then becomes aware of itself as love and then uses its free will in the creative urge and creates. And the process starts again and again and again. The raw law of one books use the words intelligent infinity as a name for source God. And I like that description. You'll probably hear it several times throughout our episodes here. It seems to me that more and more every day, people within religions or cultures are crossing their invisible boundaries to mingle with those of other religions and cultures. Not only are we mixing races to become sort of a melting pot race, we're headed in that direction. (laughs) This is also happening within our religions and our cultures. People are talking and sharing their views of God and of reality. And they're more and more seem to be finding and focusing on what it is they have in common with each other. This, every time I see it, reminds me not to discount the viewpoints of those inside religions, which is sometimes an easy thing for me to do. Because every one of us see a facet of God. Everybody that is inside of any religion that can be named sees a facet of God as much as I see a facet of God. When we look at a diamond, does it matter what facet we see it from? Does it matter that some of us want the diamond because it's beautiful and some of us want it because it's valuable and other peoples might want it because diamonds are actually very healing? It seems to me that no matter what the face or the facet of God that we see, no matter the reason that we each desire or value God, we are all interacting with the same one at some level. So I am reminded again and again not to let individual belief systems of myself or of others be a wall between us. I see infinite pathways to God. That hasn't always been so. And yes, some of those pathways are lined with walls that have been put up by the person walking there, believing at this moment in time that their path is the only way. And yet, somewhere along that path, they also will discover that all paths lead home. So my hope is to not let walls come up along my own path. We can easily see what different religions say God is because they tend to quantify God and explain their God, sometimes ad nauseum. And the only missing piece they'll say is that we need to believe in that God picture and serve that God. But I think at some level, we all know that any and every explanation of God is just a teeny tiny glimpse or an echo or a sliver, a drop in the ocean of what source God or intelligent infinity's totality really is. 
mystics are perhaps the most aware of this concept and the most likely to consistently point out our utter incapability of understanding the great mystery or truth that is Source God. As to the idea of belief or unbelief, I like Dr. Deepak Chopra's view. He says, If something is real, why do you have to believe in it? Take electricity, for example. We experience that it is real, and we use it. So whether or not we believe in it doesn't matter. The only thing that can separate you from God is the belief in God. Belief is a cover-up for insecurity. You've got to go beyond belief or faith. Experiment. Observe. Be self-aware. Reflect. Transcend. Meditate. See the difference between the perceptual and the real. End quote. A man named Richard Rohr, who is an American Franciscan friar ordained to the priesthood in the Roman Catholic Church, when asked the question, who is God, often answers with what he calls the Yahweh prayer, which is very simply the inhalation and exhalation of breath. Deepak Chopra again, who was also the doctor that brought meditation to mainstream America, says, God is the infinite potential that becomes the universe and the awareness of the universe in conscious beings. God is the ground of existence that differentiates space, time, matter, and information. God is the creativity inherent in the cosmos. God is the evolution of platonic truth, such as beauty, goodness, love, compassion, harmony, joy, and equanimity. God is our highest instinct to understand ourselves. Having said all of this, all definitions of God are inadequate. To define God is to limit God. End quote. Rob Bell who was one of the very first megachurch founders and who is my favorite Bible scholar and a great life scholar, says this, God is the song that is playing in the next room and you think, I have to get into that room because that is beautiful. And then you realize the song is playing everywhere and it's a song of love. End quote. Elizabeth Gilbert, who is the author of Eat, Pray, Love, and several other books, says, God is anything that lifts your face out of the dirt. Dirt meaning what keeps you small, stuck, broken, or diminished. God is everything that lifts you up. End quote. So, Source God is the great love energy of all that is and is said to have no name. Who then is the God of the Buddhist sutras? Who was Ishvara of the Bhagavad Gita? Or all those deities in the Hindu Vedas? Who is Allah in Islam's Quran? Or the melting pot God of the Baha'i faith? 
How about the Old Testament's Yahweh? Who is Jehovah and the Elohim? Who was Ra that historians theorize the ancient Egyptians worshipped? And who were all those Greek gods? We know who the persons of Muhammad and Buddha and Jesus the Christ were because they walked on earth in recent enough history to have records of their humanity. But some of these other God names, we tend to confuse with source God. And I'd like to challenge the idea that they really were or are the totality of source God. There are as we discuss in our episode on dimensions and parallels, eight different dimensions inside of this octave that our souls travel through. We, our soul, is on a journey from individuation from source to unity with source. Similar to a musical octave, each dimension, one through seven, can be defined or characterized with the eighth dimension being shrouded in mystery because it is described as being both the same note as the starting note and yet higher on the overall scale and is a gateway to the next octave. And I do not have reliable information at this time on how many octaves there might be, probably because it is more than enough for our human minds to try and understand this beginning concept that there are even different dimensions. Within these dimensions are many, many beings or entities, and often those beings have returned to a lower dimension to teach or help in some way. Jesus and the Buddha and Muhammad and many other wise, loving, elevated humans are examples of these higher beings incarnating into humanity. They have represented and modeled a facet of God's source so that we as humanity may understand God a little more and can practice or receive those facets of God. And then there are plenty of higher beings who do not physically incarnate. They either do not take a form at all or they come in their own chosen form. The Old Testament has several examples of these beings, but today we tend to automatically attribute all of them to being source God, when they were and are as much an individuated soul as you or I. They're just much farther along this pathway back to source. They're much closer to a likeness of God than we are in our current state of being. It's said that Yahweh was one of these beings who came here to help or guide us. And Yahweh even is said to have participated with the Elohim, who was a group of beings that we might call gods, who were highly involved in the actual creation of our human forms that are our current day bodies. Creationists teach that source God created planet Earth and everything on it including humanity. And while they're absolutely correct that it was all created by intelligent beings, as well, by the way, evolutionists are correct in that everything created was designed to continually evolve, 
They're all missing the fact that there are several dimensions of beings that have become creators. We are all destined to create because this is inherent in our design. Creation is our birthright as much as love and free will is. Creation is in our DNA. So yes, in the sense that everything comes from source God, all all the material, the energy, the building blocks are source God, in that sense, God creates everything. But who does the actual dreaming up of designs and learning how to improve on their own work and physically creating? Other beings, higher beings that were created to create and are fulfilling their purpose beautifully. The more that I have studied ancient history, a lot of it pre-biblical, the more I see the earth and everything on it has been very much a work in progress from the beginning because it was created by beings who were learning through their creations. These God figures who've come into and out of humanity throughout history have sometimes brought great love and light to us, and other times they've actually brought more harm than good, even though good was intended. Ra was a perfect example of this. Ra was a group of higher beings who wanted to help humanity and Earth, so they came here several times to see what they could do. Three times we're told they only hovered in their crafts and observed. Twice they landed on the planet, once in Egypt and later in South America, and they actually walked and lived among the people. In ancient Egypt, they were in a form slightly different from humans. They intended to give knowledge to humanity, um, knowledge about healing and better ways to live, and they actually participated in giving us the pyramids. But like young children who aren't mature enough for such power yet, humanity eventually corrupted what was given to them and created systems of control and greed and division instead of using the knowledge to better all of humanity. So those of Ra, because they were being worshipped as gods, they actually left, realizing that the people were missing the heart of what was being taught and were focusing instead on the teachers. Does this sound at all familiar? Because this is what has happened again and again throughout history. Humanity has been given technology such as the power and use of crystals in Atlantis, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, which was uh, a very powerful and we might even consider modern technology, atomic energy, much of Tesla's work for clean, sustainable energy, and nuclear power. But instead of using this to better all of humanity, a few have used it for control, for wealth and division, Or, as in the case of Tesla, and I'm sure others' work, their work has been suppressed for the same reasons. Humanity has even destroyed ourselves with such knowledge that has been given to us and set evolution back. So this is largely why these higher beings have quit showing themselves. They still want to and try to help, but they've learned a lot over the past many, many thousands of years. 
they have learned to wait and let us evolve into greater maturity before giving to humanity what we're not spiritually ready for. Once we become loving enough to provide for everyone instead of this every man for himself mentality, once we care for each other across borders and cultures and economic levels, instead of this survival of the fittest jungle law. Once we can see how we are all one and how that one has to evolve as a whole, then we will be spiritually ready for greater things. All of this to say that Earth and everything on it, including humanity, has been created by and is still being tended like a garden by higher beings. There are entire universes and galaxies that are created by higher beings as well as planets, races, and species. There is a distinction between Source God, the energy of all that is, and the creator beings of our world. We too are creator beings and we are constantly creating already. Eventually, Not too far in the future, we humans will consciously begin creating worlds and things to inhabit them. Are we not already doing this in virtual realms? Our virtual creations will simply become more and more real. So how do we as souls fit in? What is the truth behind the seeming opposite statements that some religions or masters teach that says, I am God, and the opposing statement that is taught by others that says, I am not God. Let me share a quote before we dive into this. This is from Rumi who was a mystic poet born in 1207 AD in Afghanistan. He settled in Turkey and was a scholar, a mystic, and founder of the Whirling Dervishes, which is a divinity school. And he died in 1273. Rumi says, Do you know who you are? You are the manuscript of a divine letter. You are a mirror reflecting a noble face. This universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you already are that. End quote. You and I, we are each mini-me's of Source God. We are pieces of that energy that individuated for the purpose of experiencing all that can be experienced. Now, being born of God is not the same as being totality of God. In the same way that when I claim my body as an actual physical piece of earth material, I'm not claiming that my body is all of the materials of earth. What's meant or true about those who speak of God within us or using the mantra, I am God, is that we all have the same makeup. We all carry the DNA or the infinite possibilities of God. We are good or light. 
We are literally made of love information from love. We are the microcosm of God's macrocosm. When the big book of AA teaches us to realize that I am not God, it is asking us to realize we are small parts of the infinite intelligence that is our source. It is teaching us humility and to open our minds and our hearts to seeking and learning from all the other parts of Source God and to give up trying to control everything in our world. Giving up control fosters trust in our higher power or intelligent infinity that is Source God. And these are all good and true and worthy things. And when many enlightened beings teach us the mantra, I am God, they are asking us to open to the possibilities inherent in each one of us and to see that we are all born from the same energy, to see that the God energy or identity that resides within ourselves and within others to find and explore and expand the sacred parts of ourselves, the spiritual part of our being. When we contemplate or meditate on I am God, it actually focuses us energetically directly into that energy of intelligent infinity. Like plugging into that ultimate love light which powers us. And being plugged in or immersed in our source strengthens the peace of intelligent infinity that is our individuated soul and adds more to it. The mantra OM, so widely used as part of meditation, is the physical vibration or sound of this concept, this connection to source God. It is said to be the sound of the universe, the sound of energy unfolding or becoming. To close with, just want to share a couple additional thoughts about you and I as a soul. Some, or perhaps all of us, participated in this physical creation that we are now inhabiting. We and the creators come in and out of incarnation to experience our own creation from within. We are also unique expressions of the divine source. Each one of us is integral to the whole. Ra, Law of One Book Two says it like this. Each mind-body-spirit complex is a unique portion of the one. End quote. And part of the great mystery is the idea or perhaps the reality that all we experience is only illusion, that we have never left the great mind of Source God and are actually dreaming our individuated dreams, which seem like manifested substantive matter. Rumi says, in truth, we are not here. We are the shadow. Dolores Cannon was given this information many different times during her career. This idea that 
all of this is an illusion and we are all individuations in the great mind of God having dreams. And she would ask, well, what happens then when the dreamer wakes up? (laughs) To my knowledge, she did not receive an answer to that. All right, your additional resources for today. My very favorite book about God is called Love Poems from God, 12 Sacred Voices from the East and the West, translated by Daniel Ladinsky. The 12 mystic poets that are included in this book are Rabia, St. Francis of Assisi, Rumi, Meister Eckhart, St. Thomas Aquinas, Hafiz, St. Catherine of Siena, Kabir, Mira, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, and Tugaram. Deepak Chopra, on his Facebook page, did a live feed titled, What is God?, on November 3, 2017, and it was one of the best explanations I have ever heard. So if you have a minute, actually I think it was probably around seven minutes long, um, look that up. Dolores Cannon's books titled Keepers of the Garden and Legacy from the Stars deals with some of those involved in the creation of Earth and humanity. And there is a book which is also a course or a class that you can take titled The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life by John Vallow Melchizedek. And this contains a study of sacred geometry. So if you're mathematically inclined, or even if you're not, it is a fascinating picture or explanation of creation explained through mathematics. Remember to visit our author website at ddadair.com. That's ddadair.com, and leave us comments or questions. And if you are at all interested in knowing when our Atlantis books are published, you can sign up for an email notification. My hope is that this discussion today opens the door or inspires you to contemplate who is God to you. May you experience a facet of the incredible love that is our divine source and that is intelligent infinity. May you be blessed by those experiences and increase your conscious connections to that love. Blessings on you. Blessings on your day.